SBS, a world of difference. You're with NITV Radio, on mobile, online and on radio. We acknowledge the traditional owners of the land NITV broadcasts from, Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation and their elders, past and present. We also acknowledge all Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander tribes and clans we broadcast to, from the mountains to the plains, from the desert to the sea, from freshwater to saltwater. Yama, and welcome to NITV Radio. Coming up in your program this Monday, March 13, well, the popular Yokai Foodie Show will be back for the 2023 season, kicking off on NITV in just two days' time. In the program today, we learn from uh, Andrew Krakwa, Yokai presenter, everything you need to know about uh, the popular TV program, the new format, outgoing key figures of the program, new guests, and what's in store for us in the upcoming 2023 AFL season. And also, have you ever wondered why New South Wales is the only state that hasn't begun a treaty process with its First Nations people? Well, we learn that change might be on the way after the next state elections in New South Wales are scheduled just a few days, uh, in a few days' time. On NITV Radio today, we also look at the aftermath of the racist incident targeting Latrell Mitchell last week as the NRA launches a formal investigation. All these stories and more after the latest news coming to you this Monday afternoon from Nam on the Kulin Nation. Bertrand Tungandami, I am Bertrand Tungandami. Australia Day 1972 saw the first Aboriginal embassy directly outside Parliament. The native title legislation must be amended. And they've walked this land so many times before anybody came. I am sorry. The federal opposition renews calls on the government to clarify Indigenous voice to Parliament. Anthony Albanese expected to make an announcement on nuclear submarines. And a man died in Townsville after 10 hours siege by the police. Opposition Indigenous Australians spokesman Julian Lisa has told Sky News that the Albanese government needs to clarify the definition of Aboriginality to determine who can sit on a voice to Parliament. This is, this is a matter for the government to, to clarify um, and we've asked the government to provide uh, answers to that as we've asked them to provide answers to uh, who's going to be chosen, how will they be chosen, what powers and functions will the body have how will it uh, help close the gap? These are the series of questions, not only that Australians are asking us, but clearly when you read reports from uh, Labor Party gatherings in relation to Promote the Voice, people are asking similar questions at Labor Party gatherings about this. The government needs to explain this to Australians if they expect people to vote for this in a referendum. In a letter to Prime Minister Anthony Albanese earlier this year, opposition leader Peter Dutton asked 15 questions of the proposed voice, including whether the government will confirm the, defini- the definition of Aboriginality to determine who can serve on the body. 
Asked if this question was insulting to indigenous people, Mr. Lisa says there are several definitions and the government needed to specify which one they would use for the voice. An announcement on the next steps for Australia's AUKUS agreement are expected to be announced soon with Prime Minister Anthony Albanese meeting US President Joe Biden and British Prime Minister Rishi Sunak in San Diego this afternoon. Australia's plans to acquire nuclear-powered submarines is expected to create about 20,000 jobs across the next three decades. Under the initial AUKUS deal announced in 2021, the United States and Britain have agreed to provide Australia with the technology and capability for nuclear-powered submarines. Retired Australian Defence Forces Major General Mick Ryan has told Sky News the announcement will be an important one. Well, it's a huge deal for the Navy. Uh, It ups the level of sophistication uh, of the Royal Australian Navy orders of magnitude beyond where it is right now, to be frank. You know, this announcement by the Prime Minister in San Diego, Monday time, uh, US time, will probably be one of the most consequential military announcements by an Australian Prime Minister in our history. In Queensland, the man who caused the police lockdown in Townsville has been found dead after a siege that lasted for almost 10 hours. Queensland police declared an emergency about 9pm yesterday for an area of Kirwan, a western suburb of Townsville. The emergency declaration followed earlier reports a man armed with a gun was alone in a home in Elphinstone Drive. Residents within the exclusion zone were urged to stay inside their properties and lock their doors during the siege. The man fired several shots at police vehicles. Police entered the house shortly before 7am and found a 50-year-old man dead. The exclusion zone has been lifted. No further details were given. Environment Minister Tanya Plibersek says it's important for Australians to be informed before downloading social media apps like TikTok. It comes as the Minister of Home Affairs, Claire O'Neill, will look at how the Chinese-owned video sharing app could pose privacy, information and political concerns. More than 20 Australian government agencies have banned the social media app over security risks which follows the US planning to ban the app from all government services. Ms. Plibersek says the investigations underway in TikTok is significant. Well, I think it's important that people know what they're letting themselves in for when they download apps onto their phone. And, you know, with most of these apps, if it's for free and it uh, seems too good to be true, it probably is too good to be true. You don't get anything for nothing these days. Uh, This is an important uh, inquiry that the uh, Home Affairs Minister Claire O'Neill has uh, instigated. Uh, It's important to know what you're letting yourself in for when when you're participating in social media in this way. And it's important that you know what your kids are um, downloading onto their phones as well. An economist says Australia's superannuation funds could be affected by the collapse of the Silicon Valley Bank in the United States. The bank was plunged into insolvency on Friday, stranding billions of dollars from companies and investors. The startup-focused lender, based in Santa Clara, was ranked as the 16th biggest lender in the U.S. at the end of last year, with about $109 billion in assets. The exact reason for the collapse is unclear, but it's likely the United States Central Bank interest rate hikes, which had strained finances in the startup space, was a significant factor. The bank lost $1.8 billion on government treasury bonds, whose values sank following the interest rate hikes. 
Dean of the Faculty of Business and Economics at Melbourne University, Professor Paul Kaufman, says none of the Australian banks are as concentrated as the tech-focused Silicon Valley Bank. He said the tech sector is primarily affected by the collapse, but this will create ramifications for individual finances. There is definitely a spillover effect into the economy, the global economy at large, in the sense that we're all invested in the tech sector and banks like the Silicon Valley Bank are just a conduit of that. Mm. So that exposes us. Our superannuation funds would get a hit if the tech firms are doing poorly. Uh, which which they are at present, so that that's the high level impact on customers uh, around the world. Hundreds of thousands of protesters have taken to the streets of Israel's major cities in opposition to controversial plans to reform the nation's judiciary. The demonstrations have been occurring for 10 weeks following the announcement of plans to curb the Supreme Court's powers, which critics see as a threat to judicial independence. Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu has defended the reforms and says the protests are designed to remove him from power. He is on trial in three corruption cases and denies all wrongdoing. Some protesters fear these judicial reforms threaten to undermine Israel's democracy. I'm here to demonstrate and to sound my voice against the dictatorship that they established here in the name of the so-called law, judicial reform. It's not a judicial reform. It's a revolution that's making Israel go to full dictatorship. And I want Israel to stay a democracy for my kids, for my grandson that will be here, because Israel is a democracy country and it must stay as one. The North Korean government claims it has conducted submarine-launched submarine-launched cruise missile tests. The tests are purported to have happened yesterday, just one day before American and South Korean militaries begin large-scale joint military drills that North Korea views as a rehearsal for invasion. The official Korean Central News Agency says the missile launches were meant to confirm the reliability of the weapons system. North Korea's weapons demonstrations this year include test launches of an intercontinental ballistic missile, missile, short-range missiles, and a purported long-range cruise missile system in recent weeks. North Korea has been pushing very hard for years to acquire the ability to fire nuclear-armed missiles from submarines that could potentially reach the United States mainland. Earlier Monday, South Korea's military said it had detected the launch from a submarine in waters near North Korea's eastern port city of Sinpo. Hillstone Church has reacted to the allegations made last week by independent MP Andrew Wilkie by declaring it will commission an independent financial review. Mr. Wilkie used parliamentary privilege to accuse the church of fraud, money laundering and tax evasion, showing documents he alleged prove that Hillsong's leaders used their church's money on luxury trips. The Charities and Not-for-Profits Commission announced on Friday that it would investigate Mr. Wilkie's allegations. During their morning service yesterday, Hillsong pastor Phil Dooley declared a third party will review its finances. There are thousands of documents that contain information that uh, I had no knowledge personally about, but I'll take full responsibility for how we do things going forward. We will be beginning this week a complete re-evaluation via an outside third party of our financial structure and systems. 
In New Zealand, Wallabies legend Kopi Kefu has detailed abuse he suffered at an Auckland boarding school as part of New Zealand's Royal Commission into Abuse in Care. Kefu was born in Sydney to Tongan parents before moving to New Zealand as a child where he attended Wesley College in Auckland's south. The school is well known for producing sporting icons including Jonah Lomu and Kefu himself, but the Royal Commission is also unmasking its legacy of bullying and violence. Kefu described regular hazings including having to, to stay awake through nights in boarding rooms or face beatings. Kefu, now, now 37, said abuse was rife when he attended two decades ago and talked about what he called military-style brutal beatings. And in sports, uh, Paralympic swimming legend Eddie Cole will lead the Australian team at this year's Trinbago Commonwealth Youth Games in the Caribbean next August. The 31 years old was appointed general manager of the national team for the Youth Games, her first appointment to a team executive position. She retired from competition last year soon after, the Birmingham, after Birmingham, her third Commonwealth Games. Cole's career games hall was one silver and three bronze medals. In four Paralympics, she won 17 medals, including six golds, to become Australia's most decorated female Paralympian. And now having a look at the weather around the country, Brome partly cloudy 31, Perth mostly sunny 30, Adelaide much the same 26, Melbourne partly cloudy 23, Hobart much the same also 23, Albury Wodonga sunny 25, Canberra possible showers 24, Wollongong showers 23, Sydney also showers 25, Newcastle much the same 24, Brisbane showers 30, Townsville sunny 31, Cairns partly cloudy 34, Alice Springs sunny 33, Darwin mostly sunny 32 degrees and the Torres Strait Islands a sunny day ahead and a top of 30 degrees and that is NITV Radio News NITV Radio Monday, Wednesday, Friday at 1pm or anytime online I'm Bertrand Tungandame and you're listening to NITV Radio coming to you from Nam on the Kulin Nation this Monday afternoon. Coming up next, well, Yokai Footy co-host Andrew Krakwa will uh, join us ahead of the return of the popular footy program on the screens for the 2023 season. As you'll hear... Yoka is back with everything Australians love about her AFL through bold yarns, powerful monologues, compelling community stories and exclusive interviews with Indigenous AFL players. Also, ever wondered why New South Wales is the only state that hasn't begun a treaty process with its Aboriginal people? And when change on this front is likely to happen? As you hear shortly... There could be a shake-up in Indigenous affairs in New South Wales after the next state election. In the program, we also follow up on uh, the racist incident targeting Latrell Mitchell last week in the sidelines of an NRL game. First, what's in store for TV viewers and AFL fans on Yokai Footy? Your community, your conversation. NITV Radio. 
Yokai Footy continues to be an important platform to amplify Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander voices on a national scale and provide a safe space for Indigenous and non-Indigenous people to discuss important AFL topics that matter both on and off the field. Yokai is back for the 2023 season on NITV and I'm glad to say Yokai host Andrew Cracker has accepted to join us on NITV Radio to shed some light on what's in store for us this season after a cracking 2022 season. Well, Andrew, 2023 promises to be yet another big one on uh, Yokai. Yeah, absolutely. First off, I'd like to pay my respects to the um, traditional owners um, on the lands that we both meet upon today. Obviously, we're in different areas in different countries, but um, and pay my respects to elders um, past, present. And, um, yeah, so Yoko Footy, mate, it's, um, yeah, really, it's a, it's a great show. We've, uh, you know, it's my second year co-hosting. I've been involved in the show for about three or four years now. So, um, yeah, we've got a great team. And as you spoke about just then in the intro, we able to put a you know Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander lens on the footy world and what's going on and now the challenges and topics that come up within that uh, the AFL system and also in the community as well. So it's, um, we have a great platform and a great team and I'm really looking forward to season 2023 for Yokai Footy. Now, coming in the new season, we are used to seeing some very popular faces doing a great job bringing us all the footy news we need to know and all the good stories. Are you coming back with the same team, uh, same crew for 2023? Yeah, absolutely. There's a few other changes, but um, first I'd love to just um, pay my respects to our outgoing executive producer and the OG um, executive producer for Yoko Footy, Ana Carla Harchis done an absolutely outstanding and an amazing job uh, to be able to help get Yoko Footy up and running and her support, her knowledge, her IP that she's been able to bring to the show and just her care for not only myself but everyone else within the show has absolutely made it an amazing show and laid such a great foundation for the show to be able to go forward and have some really great success. So I just want to be able to thank uh, Annie Carla Hart for the work that she's been able to do and as you spoke about changes, absolutely things happen all the time and as I spoke about Annie Carla finishing up, um, Tony Briggs is the new executive producer coming through and he's got a wealth of knowledge and experience and no doubt He's going to be an asset to the to the new team um, at Yokai Footy. So, yeah, we've got Megan Waters as well. She's an absolute star, beautiful young lady. Uh, Uncle Gilly McAdam as well has been around for a long time in the media space and an absolute trailblazer there and um, three-time premiership um, player Daryl White as well. So... We've got a you know great great core of people there as well, and um, everyone working behind the scenes. And as you spoke about before, you know last year I was green in a co-host um, position, but then you know I've got to working with some great people. I've got been able to sort of get myself comfortable in that role, and um, I'm really looking forward to it this year. And as we spoke about last year went really well and um you know we just um really got a great foundation ready to slingshot into 2023. Some of the big events about AFL last year were events that took place off the field, including um, the summit led last year, looking at multiculturalism in the game and uh, First Nations uh, participation. Can you comment for us on the summit and these events and uh, the expected outcomes? I think it's just to be able to bring people together. Obviously, Australia is a very diverse country and AFL football is a diverse sport as well with people from all different walks of life. 
and genders and backgrounds and cultures to be able to come together and, and to be able to play football and to be able to use sport as a vehicle. So I think um, just to be able to understand, I think there was a few things that happened last year around racism and um, to being able to make sure that, you know, if these things do arise again, that they have a space, safe space to be able to report such things that come up and to be able to make sure that they culturally safe and in, in the environment they are to be able to succeed and play the best football that they can, I suppose. And, um, you know, that's no doubt they would have been able to do that. But then also, more importantly, to be able to celebrate everyone's culture. I, I, I saw that there was, um, you know, dancing and, and, and smoking ceremonies. And so no doubt to be able to be a part of those yarning circles. Um, unfortunately, I didn't um, have the opportunity to be able to get down there, but oil reports to be able to share everyone's culture and experiences is something that was, um, you know, was a highlight of that camp. So, um, you know, to be able to do that and continue to be able to do that and shine a spotlight on that is um, is a beautiful thing. So, by all reports, it was a great camp. Looking back at uh, Indigenous participation, St Kilda is still leading in terms of lining up uh, the most Indigenous uh, players. And uh, it appears that AFA is also now seeing more and more Indigenous people rising in uh, leadership roles. Yeah, and that's, you know, that's probably been the battle. We've had so many great players being able to come through the system um, and, you know, probably get lost to the game a little bit. Um, speaking from a, as you spoke about, um, a sort of management point of view. So to have people in those roles is really exciting. And, you know, no doubt they bring some really great skills and tools, not only on the footy field, but off the footy field as well. But um, as you spoke about um, St Kilda as well, to be able to have the number of um, Indigenous players there and Torres Strait Islanders to be able to come and uh, represent that footy club is out, absolutely outstanding. Richmond's done it great for a long period of time, Fremantle over in the West as well. So to be able to see more First Nations people, Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people playing AFL footy is, is beautiful to see. Footy is very well implanted in big cities with Melbourne serving as the home for AFL, but fans and lovers of the game can be found right across the country. Will you be giving space for remote and regional areas to shine as well? Uh, I can think of small cities like Darwin or Early Springs. Uh, will you be travelling there and taking Yokai to them? Yeah, correct. Hopefully that that's the case. Um, I haven't heard a whole lot from that uh, from that point of view, but oh, we'd love to absolutely get out and to be able to make sure that we um, have Yoko footy front and centre at AFL AFL games, and to be able to, as we spoke about before, put our lens on it and to be able to support um, mob and community as well as we spoke about. Sometimes people don't get the opportunity to be able to come to Melbourne or Perth or these big cities as well. So if there's an opportunity, as you spoke about, you know, the heart of the nation um, at the game in Alice Springs is absolutely huge. And no doubt Melbourne will make their way up there um, this year and also up into Darwin as well. So if there's an opportunity for Yoko Footy to be able to get up there, I'll certainly be able to put my hand up in Megzi and uh, DJ and Gilly as well, Uncle Gilly. So um, to be able to do something like that and, to be able to, you know, bring it to the people as you spoke about, who may not have the opportunity to get to these big cities is is so important. You know, in the, in those small communities, football is a is a culture. It's a, it's absolutely huge. It's um it's a vehicle. It's a driving force within communities and people that are involved in that. So if we have that opportunity, we certainly put our hand up to be able to do that. 
from my experience when you travel to remote areas you meet uh, local people who may have never left their hometown yet they barrack for big teams in the large cities like St Kilda the Sydney Swans uh, GWS and you name it but the locals there know and follow their teams the players uh, they know all the stats and uh, everything uh, it would be really good to really be able to give um, them more exposure and uh, take the show to them and uh, yeah they certainly do and even you know they love football that much sometimes they name their children after football players so it's as I said it's absolutely huge they love their sports they love their footy um, and certainly they love their First Nations and Torres Strait Islander players that um, are able to make a huge impact in the AFL and absolute stars in, in the system so it is is thoroughly. It is so important to be able to give back to those communities. I remember when I was playing, just the smile that you see on kids' faces and the impact that you can have by going up there and you know giving your time and being able to support these small communities is. It doesn't seem like a big thing, but um, it certainly makes a big impact as well. So um, to be able to be a part of that, I remember going back and doing a few of those things. There are a few highlights of my career. So hopefully, we were able to do that. Which Indigenous player should we look up to this season, uh, 2023 season? Uh, I think um, it's huge that Joy Simkin is now, you know, he's a Yorta Yorta man and he's the, he's the first Aboriginal captain from that area for North Melbourne Footy Club, I think it is. So that's an absolutely great achievement, I think. It's just a testament to himself and the way he's been able to conduct himself. So to to take on that added leadership and, um, you know, it's a huge honour. So it'll be interesting to see how he goes. He's an absolute professional. I think uh, Shay Bolton is a, is a player I, I love to watch and how he goes about it. So, um, you know, to see how the Tigers go as well this year. Um, Isaac Rankin to be able to make a move from... Gold Coast down to Adelaide Crows. It'd be interesting to see how the he goes. Um, so it's um, yeah, Benny Long as well making the making the move, and he's gone up to Gold Coast. There's, so there's been a fair move, fair few changes in the off season. But um, yeah, uh, young you know young Bobby Hill coming down from GWS as well. So because um, I pick it, he's certainly one that I enjoy watching. He's an absolute star every time he gets near the footy. Just his pace and he's so electrifying. Um, able to create. Um, something from nothing um, with not too much time that he needs to be able to do that time and space. So they're just a few guys that I'm really looking forward to um, see how they go this year. Now there's this uh, Doug Nichols round, uh, the Mangrook round. Uh, what other First Nations themed events should we be looking out for this uh, season? I think it, 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 it's 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 amazing that they do that. Um, you know, it's the Doug Nichols round and Mangrook and to be able to support that. But I think just to be able to continue and highlight that throughout the season, I think that's why the beauty about Yoko footy, we can do that. Um, um, I think, you know, those uh, dream time at the G, I remember playing in the first one, you know, we had a little little emblem um, dream time at the G at the top left of our jumpers. And now, you know, to be able to design the jumpers, the jumpers just seem to be, you know, getting better each year. It's, it's hard to say, but the amazing jobs each year. And I think the, the education um, and just the knowledge that that round brings as well to all different countries and clubs and um, protocols as well is just beautiful to see. So if we can just keep highlighting that and to be able to bring that to the forefront and to bring that on mainstream media and people 
those televisions is is a beautiful thing because when I was younger I didn't see that too much and even in schools and things like that. So the the education that that brings and the conversations that that starts is is so important, um, you know. And just to be able to continue to do that is is it's our job. That's what we need to do. And um, no doubt the players and the clubs they're um, you know they're all better off and the AFL is better off for for seeing that. And uh, when is Yoka kicking off for the 2023 season? Uh, our first show is on the, uh, on the on the 15th, so Wednesday night. So we're really looking forward. We're chomping at the bit to be able to get in there, get in the sh- um, studio and to be able to do the thing. It seems so, so long ago that um, we had our last, last show last year and uh, it's been a huge and a long break and a long summer. And um, now the footy season is almost upon us and, Ready to go again. The rat race begins. And uh, just a reminder, Yoka is a celebratory cry, a war cry of... Um... Yes, it's a shout of victory, absolutely. So you can use it when someone kicks a goal or someone does something really great. You can just shout, Yokai. So it's, um, yeah, so that's a, that's a Noongar word from where I'm from as well. So from the Noongar people over in WA from the Great Southern. And um, so you can use that when you're watching the footy as well. So your guy could return to 2023. Absolutely. Andrew, thank you very much for taking the time to talk to us today on NITV Radio about uh, the return of Yokai for the new season 2023. Thank you very much. Thanks for the interview. You take care. Join the conversation on radio, online and mobile. You're with NITV Radio. The New South Wales government has ruled out a treaty with First Nations people, making it the only state or territory in Australia to do so. The Labour opposition has committed to treaty talks if it wins the upcoming state election. Emma Kellaway reports. Ring the bells. As Parliament adjourns, politicians are priming their promises ahead of a state election at the end of the month. A key focus for many First Nations voters in New South Wales, the topic of treaty. We do need to have these conversations at some stage uh, and that we do need to recognise that mob right across the state um, have, have been calling for this. The incumbent coalition government confirming in a statement, despite their continued support for the voice to parliament at a national level, implementing a state-based voice or treaty is not on the agenda. In January, the Labor opposition made a commitment of their own, announcing $5 million towards a year-long consultation on a treaty with First Nations groups if they win. I would like to see um, a commitment that extends beyond a 12-month consultation process. New South Wales is the only state or territory that hasn't started a treaty process. Victoria and South Australia were the first to announce they would push ahead with treaty and truth-telling. Since then, all other state and territory governments have made treaty and land title commitments. Our people have been asking for this for a long period of time and this is our opportunity to where we should be leading this uh, important conversation rather than shying away from it. A key conversation long overdue. Emma Kellaway, NITV News. Join the conversation on radio, online and mobile. You're with NITV Radio. Abhorrent and unacceptable. That's how claims of racist abuse levelled that rugby league star Latro Mitchell have been described by the league's CEO. 
The incident, allegedly involving a teenage spectator, has drawn condemnation across the sport from players and coaches and provoked calls for live bans for all involved. Navin Lazik reports. So Penrith, the Premiers, are up by 10 at halftime. Thursday night at Penrith Stadium, and a tough match on the field becomes ugly off it. Commotion as the players walk off the ground, and the South Sydney Rabbitohs react to an alleged racial slur targeted at star Latrell Mitchell. The abuse allegedly came from a teenage spectator who was later ejected from the ground. Teammates say the fullback reacted to the remarks, but he's yet to address the incident publicly. His coach, Jason Dimitro, was angry. He's sick of it. Like, why, why wouldn't he be? Well, he should be able to come here as a star of our game and not be racially abused. Who cares what colour he is? It's just not on. From NRL CEO Andrew Abdo, there was condemnation. It is absolutely abhorrent that we have a situation where we have players subjected to any form of vilification or abuse. Home Club Penrith says it will work with the league to investigate the claims. The matter has been referred to New South Wales Police and Dimitro has urged the NRL to hand down the toughest of sanctions. Life bans. Anyone wants to make racial abuse, and get, get them out of the game. We don't want their support. It's got to end. And if it's a young kid, rule his parents out as well. It's just not on. NRL CEO Andrew Abdo has stopped short of supporting that call. Once we know all of the facts around what was said and by whom, we will think very carefully about what the appropriate action is for that. This is also an opportunity for us to educate people too. This incident has come five years after then-South's captain Greg Inglis received the same alleged slur at the same ground. He's given his reaction in a podcast. I hate it. Needs to be gone. And that spectator, when it happened to me, did get life banned. And I hope the same thing happens. This is far from being the first racist comment targeted at Mitchell. In 2019, playing for the Sydney Roosters, he publicly called out his attackers on social media. His former coach Trent Robinson is expecting him to stay strong this time. And we're still not at a point where we're happy to accept uh, really strong Indigenous voices in this country. Um, And, um, yeah, that's really disappointing. Abdo says the NRL will increase its efforts to wipe out racist behaviour in the sport. Well, that's got to be our goal. It's got to be our vision to do that. It's got to be our vision to say we don't want to be talking about this so that when my kids or their kids are talking about sport, it's only positive. Naveen Razik, SBS News. NITV Radio. Share our stories on Facebook. Welcome back. And now, health story. As there has been a significant decline in people's awareness of heart attack symptoms, according to a new report. The report reveals that one in five adults in Australia couldn't name a single heart attack symptom, and just over half suggested chest pain as a symptom. Sam Dover has the details. New research has found one in five adults in Australia couldn't name any heart attack symptoms with only around half of the respondents reporting chest pain as a symptom. The study, led by Monash University, surveyed over 100,000 Australians aged between 30 and 59 years old. The news surprised the authors of the study, who had anticipated some decline in heart health literacy, but not to such a significant extent. Associate Professor Jeanette Bray of the Monash University's School of Public Health and Preventive Medicine is the report's lead author. 
She says having an understanding of these symptoms is critical. It is vital、um, because we know that people who attribute their symptoms to their heart when they're having a heart attack get to hospital faster, and that's incredibly important to receiving. Treatment to unblock that artery so that you do less damage to the heart as a result. So it is crucial. People, when they're having a heart attack, also tend to call others. So it's important that people know the symptoms just in case they do get a call from a loved one saying, "You know, I'm experiencing these symptoms. What do you think I should do?" The aim was to look at public awareness during and following the Heart Foundation charity's warning signs campaign, which ran from 2010 to 2013. The campaign aimed to increase awareness of symptoms and to increase people's confidence in calling an ambulance when confronted with an emergency. The results show that the awareness of chest pain as a heart attack symptom fell from 80% in 2010 to 57% in 2020, and the percentage of respondents who could not name a single symptom increased from 4% to 20%. Professor Jeanette Bray says the survey was also able to identify particular groups where heart-related health literacy was particularly lacking. We know the groups that that have low awareness. So, for instance, people who have lower levels of education,、um, or people who don't speak English at home, the message doesn't seem to be penetrating there.、Uh, young men, in particular,、um, and and who are at more risk than、um, young women. Um, so we've identified those groups, but trying to tease out exactly why this is、um, happening over time is, is a little more challenging. Every year, fifty-six thousand seven hundred Australians suffer from a heart attack or angina, which is another type of chest pain caused by reduced blood flow to the heart. These events cause almost one in twenty-five deaths. Some of the key warning signs of a heart attack are pain, pressure, or tightness in the chest, arms, shoulders, or back, neck, or jaw, and may be accompanied by a shortness of breath, a dizzy feeling, or a feeling of fatigue. Associate Professor Bray acknowledges that the warning signs campaign, while effective, was very costly. And such broad-reaching awareness programs remain largely out of reach for non-governmental organisations. She says, however, the findings from their survey inspired Monash University to begin a more targeted trial program aimed at eight high-risk local government areas. At the moment, we're trialling a community、uh, sort of grassroots education campaign in which we're. We're going into regions that we know have high rates of heart attacks,、uh, low ambulance use, and, and low、uh, cardiovascular knowledge,、uh, and trying to provide personal education to community groups in these regions, including our cultural and linguistic diverse populations. Their Heart Matters trial is a joint effort with the Heart Foundation, Ambulance Victoria, and the Victorian Government Department of Health. The chief medical advisor for the Heart Foundation, Gary Jennings, says the program made a concerted effort to reach people who weren't comfortable in English through their respective community channels. Of course, language can be、um, a serious issue in terms of getting the messages out. If we learned anything out of COVID, it was that mainstream messages don't get to some of the most important. And vulnerable、uh, people in the community. So、uh, there are all sorts of all sorts of challenges, and they're unique often to each each community group. People get their information from different sources, and and it's important to work through those、um, 
those community leaders. Beyond remote and migrant communities, he says women face unique risks regarding heart attacks. While twice as many men experience heart attacks and are significantly more likely to die from these incidents, Professor Jennings says it is important for women to understand that they are still at risk and often suffer different symptoms to men. The typical, the classical textbook symptom of a heart attack is a crushing central chest pain that might radiate, might might, uh, shoot down the arms or up into the neck. Not everyone gets those. Women um, uh, do tend to get less typical symptoms. But the other thing with women is um, I think there's been a tendency to think of this as a man's uh, condition and uh, when people get uh, chest discomfort or or other funny symptoms that uh, may be a a heart attack, uh, women may be more likely to discount it than, um, than men. This experience was true for Melissa Gardner, who suffered a heart attack in October of 2021. She explained some of the symptoms that she'd been feeling that morning. I woke up at 1.30 in the morning, just had a sniggly little pain, nothing really serious, um, and a little light discomfort in my palm, like a, like a tingling in my palm. And um, I stewed on it for about an hour, an hour and a half, um, and rang a hotline, the Health First number, and she said, oh, look, sweetie, I'm going to ring you a ambulance. You know, you need to go to hospital. And I'm like, oh, no, 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 don't do that. You know, it's nothing, it's nothing serious, I'm sure. And I said, no, I don't want to waste anyone's time. And yeah, I got to hospital and found out that I'd suffered a heart attack. So, very scary. While chest pain is still the most common heart attack symptom, women are more likely to experience non-chest pain symptoms such as nausea, fatigue, shortness of breath, cold sweats, and pain or discomfort in the jaw, shoulders, arms, or back. These are symptoms that are often mistaken for conditions such as the flu, overexertion, or even indigestion. Following the heart attack, Melissa had to have a stent put into one of her arteries, which was 90% blocked. Just three weeks later, her father died of a severe heart attack. Melissa said she never suspected a heart attack was possible, as she had assumed that it wasn't a pressing issue for women like herself. When I think of heart attacks, I think of men. Um, I don't think, you know, it's not something that you hear of ladies having all the time. So, you know, I knew only from what I'd seen on TV, you know, they clutch their heart and they go down. I did not realise that the symptoms could be different in ladies and so and so different, so mild. Like, I wouldn't have even gone to the hospital if I had not rung that line um, and she rang the, hospital, rang the ambulance for me, I would have just sort of sat it out, I suppose, um, and God knows what would have happened. She feels incredibly lucky to have had medical intervention before it was too late. Don't ignore it. It costs nothing to get it checked out. You know, the hospital aren't going to you know, turn you away and things, say that you're stupid. I would definitely get it checked out because mine was so severe, so minor, that I actually thought... Um, it was nothing. I thought I was wasting everyone's time. It shocked me when I found out it was a heart attack. If you feel any of the symptoms mentioned in this story, such as a pain or tightness in your chest, arms or neck, tell someone how you feel. And if you're not feeling any better after 10 minutes, call 000 and request an ambulance. Sam Dover, SBS News. Um, thanking you for staying with us this Monday afternoon. Till next time, bye for now. Yalu. Yeah,